Welcome to Drunk on Comics Podcast, episode 319. Holy crap, is that many now? Yeah, it's been... Yeah, well, it's been a while since you've been on the show. What was it? What was the last one number that you remember? Uh, I think it was around for 300, wasn't I? Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, we had the crew, so I guess 20 weeks ago, so yeah. 19 weeks ago, I guess, I could, if I could do math and actually say the, <laughs> you the, know, the numbers. It's all right. You can't, can't speak, you can't do math. It's, I, can't it's okay. do, I can't do much, uh, did, except did you for... Tony? I can hit record. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, Derek, uh, you're joining me uh, on this uh, special edition. I don't know why we call them special editions anymore, but we were able to interview Dan Doherty. Poor guy, got stuck in traffic, and we got to talk to him on his way home. Yeah, so uh, there, the sound quality seemed great coming on through. Um, there was a part where he switched from talking personally to uh, being on speakerphone, so the volume kind of switched a bit, but hopefully leveled those on out but other than that though it was a great interview definitely go check out his kickstarter for the touching evil two volume two that's out right now and then just really check out all the work that he has yeah hit up beardocomics.com um he's super easy to get a hold of super approachable guy too if you ever see him at any cons so definitely an interview you want to hear yes and we have all the links to all this stuff uh on our website so with that Sit back, uh, grab a cold one, and enjoy Drunk on Comics Podcast, episode 319, an interview with Dan Doherty. Well, that to be your new your new like intro clip for the whole show now. It should be. <laughs> Drunk on Dan mumblings. Right, yeah. Let me tell you a little something about Indiana traffic. <laughs> I was going to say, what, uh, what's there's that coffee with comedians that Seinfeld does, like d- yeah. driving with Dan. <laughs> yeah. His cars are always are very fancy, though. I'm in a very dad car right now, so <laughs> not nearly as cool. <laughs> Come on, we could have our own spinoff, uh, comic creators in cars getting chocolate or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> Changing diapers. There we go. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah. I changed four today. Uh, of all poop, my kid is a beast. Wait, say that again? I changed four poop diapers today. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah, jeez. He, he's like jeez, over a year he's... old. That shouldn't happen. He was just a fountain of dump. <laughs> Good lord. We yeah, we have you know, Elliot had one today that was nuts. Um, real quick, I'll just tell you this because luckily it was after we got out of the pool in the morning, um, and before we got in the car. So it was like he pooped in the hotel room, which is the perfect place, but it was it was an old homeless man's diarrhea. Like it was <laughs> it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. It took it was a two man job. It took Meg and me together to get it out of the swim diaper. It was well, it was really a like a Mission Impossible kind of scenario. Well, swim diapers don't really uh, do anything other than hold the turds in. They don't absorb. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's terrible. I'm so glad yeah, they, I, they I don't need to know this. They kind of it into his butt crack. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. That's all right. <laughs> this is a great way to start the show. <laughs> Talking about poop diapers. Yeah, I hope this is how you, you started off. <laughs> it, 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 well, it will be. Trust me. <laughs> Good, good. <laughs> we will turn... poop with Dan. Yeah, the, uh, the, comics. the reviews on this show will be, man, it starts off pretty shitty, but 
works its way up from the end. Yeah. Oh, That's awesome. well, well, Dan, um, as you were already saying, you are on your way back home from C4 and stuck yes. in traffic, and so this is coming to people live-ish from your car. Yes, I'm coming at you in some awesome Indiana traffic uh, with my wife and two kids. So, good times. So, typically, um, for you, how many shows do you do a year? Um, the numbers changed since my, my second kid was born. Uh, I used to do like around like 25-ish, like plus or minus a year. So, it was almost every other weekend. Uh, some of them were like one-day things or... or you know, I, I would count a couple of my um, like comic shop appearances as a show because they would be so, you know, like free comic book day, I kind of treat it like a show. But um, but I do like, you know, over 20 in the past. Now I'm doing more like in the mid-teens just because, you know, I want to be home a little bit more for the kids. And then plus I wanted to get uh, work done, um, which is kind of the trade-off of, of being, you know, like your own promo guy. You know, you kind of, you go on the road to promote your stuff and then you don't have time to make more stuff. So you have to stay home for a bit and make the stuff, which means you don't get to go out and promote the stuff. Do you uh, think it's harder having multiple children now to actually get your creative stuff done? Um, I think I'm in a, like a, a particularly like transitional time right now because my daughter's getting a little bit more self-sufficient, but my son is just like a little, uh, you know, he's just a little dude who needs, needs to be held and, and hasn't, he crawls but doesn't walk and he's teething but hasn't popped a tooth so like he's a little more needy um at the moment but he's actually more mild-mannered than than my daughter was at that age so i'm kind of just uh rolling with it as best i can (laughs) i will admit there's days where i'm like man i i just kind of look at the clock and i'm like oh those hours what i could have done with them (laughs) but um but my wife and i have done our best to like come up with a system so that we both get as much time to do our thing as possible. And it's not perfect, but like, you know, we're, we're just kind of doing our best. I mean, the good news is I still, I've managed to get out a whole bunch of new content this year. Um, even with, you know, juggling that and, and parenting. So I feel like I've figured out some stuff. So just, you know, kind of waiting for that nice sweet spot where they're a little bit more independent. That's a, that's a slippery slope though, man. You know, once they start moving around, uh, you spend more time chasing than, than just holding. At least that's how it is yeah. for me. Yeah, I chase. I mean, I kind of chase my son, but he's catchable right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when when he gets to be my daughter's age and he's a little bit more, uh, you know, fast on his feet, it becomes a whole, a whole different ball game. Like even today, you know, we we're we we're as we we're leaving, we were walking the uh, the ce- you know checking out the scenery in, in Traverse City and um, one of the surrounding towns. And, uh, you know, my daughter just still is still, she's still getting the, the hang of like, oh, there's the street. I shouldn't go run into that. <laughs> so I'm constantly holding her hand, like with like a, like a death grip. And she hates it. She doesn't understand why I'm like, I'm doing this to keep you alive. <laughs> you don't understand. Like you can't just run anywhere you want. So with, uh, with the shows and you can't always bring your family to them, obviously, right. but how do you go about choosing which ones you're going to do? And like, what's the farthest that you kind of venture out? Um, yeah. And I, I, I hardly bring them out to shows at this age right now. I mean, my Megan, the kids, uh, well, Elliot's my, my son, Elliot's first show was C2E2 this year. 
and he just, you know, they popped in for a few hours, but this was their first time when I took all, all of us, you know, on a trip together and we'd really probably only do it at a show that like, you know, like Cherry Capital because it's close enough to us. And then, um, it's a kind of a vacation show for a lot of families. So we treat it like that, you know, it's, it's fun and we get to turn it into a vacation, but I travel solo. Um, I mean, I've hit, you know, Seattle for Emerald city. I've hit New York for New York comic con, um, Philly a couple times, Texas. I mean, I, I've, I think the only areas I haven't hit are like the, um, I guess like deep South maybe. And, um, and kind of like around the New Mexico area where I've, I've heard there's a lot of good shows in like, you know, like maybe Phoenix or Albuquerque or places like that. So I, I've yet to hit that area, but I've hit both coasts quite a bit. And then a lot of the Midwest and Texas as well. Yeah. It's way too hot down there anyways. You don't want to go to like Albuquerque. That's like breaking bad weather. It's not good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, I have relatives in Texas at least. So that, that kind of softened the, the blow of the heat. But yeah, I went to the Austin show about a year or so ago and good Lord, it was, I was, I was telling myself, I'm gonna go for a little run and I don't know how they do it down there. Like just that it's not just the heat, but like if the air is like so thick, um, it's just nuts. And I had to be careful with my books too. Cause they'll curl up if I don't, keep them air conditioned <laughs> hopefully you didn't go during like the uh like cedar tree like spring summer bloom thing too because apparently everyone gets cedar fever and their eyes swell shut so oh geez yeah it's like the happening <laughs> like that terrible m night shamalama ding dong movie down there so the trees oh. actually try to kill you <laughs> yeah the one with mark Wahlberg, that yeah. one yeah the trees yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting killed by trees here well, it was it was warm and nice this past weekend um, up there, which I feel like is almost a little too warm, but it was great, great weather. Yeah, yeah, it was it was incredible. Like the like last year was kind of cold and rainy, I think if I remember right. So you know, I'll take any chance to be outside. I, mean, I didn't get a whole lot of time to be outside, but my my family and and my friends did who showed up. So that was sweet. I mean, that kind of helps a bit. Now, besides talking about our, our fun-filled weekend we just had, and we could probably talk about the weekend before at Motor City, and God, I've just been hanging out with you left and right lately. I, I couldn't go yeah. last weekend. <laughs> um, we we want to really touch on a, a certain point today. Uh, I don't know quite what that point is that we're going to touch on. Maybe you can fill us in, Dan? Well, um, well you keep talking about touching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's evil. <laughs> I mean, maybe, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, as of, you know, right now, um, I'm, I'm in the thick of it with my Kickstarter campaign for Touching Evil Volume 2. Um, and I'm doing good, but I'm in that weird spot right now where it's the middle of the campaign, sort of like the week two and three era where, like, um, it gets tough because it, it just it sort of drops off a bit. You know, you, you get that momentum at the start, and hopefully you have a big, strong finish. But right in the middle is this weird, like, kind of like no man's land where you hope you can keep pushing the campaign into new territory, but um, the signal doesn't seem to reach as far in that, that time. So I'm trying to boost it every way I can. I, I talked to you guys and said, so like, hey, can, you know, what can we do? So I appreciate the fact that you get me on the show. 
oh yeah we'll we'll share it everywhere to everyone that we possibly know so we'll get you like at least 30 more people to <laughs> sweet <laughs> well, hey that's I, honestly 30 people actually is quite a bit when you think about it like if, if they all bought the book that's almost a thousand dollars yeah looking at your touch and evil number one you got 16,934 with 328 backers currently you're mm-hmm. sitting at 14,417 out of 218 backers. So yeah, getting those mm-hmm. few more, every backer counts. Yeah, I mean, you start doing the math and, and going, okay, hey, if, if this is what I have left pledge-wise to get, and I have you know, a book at $30, let's say, which is what it is, um, just that level, if, if they got nothing else but that, I mean, like a hundred people would pretty much put me there, you know, so it's, you break it down into, Hey, I really could make a difference in this. You know, it, it, it can be that simple as just saying, Hey, I'm going to get the book and, and it gets me that much closer to that part of it. Um, I mean, I, I'm still holding out, you know, a lot of hope for the stretch goals as well. So like, I, I'd really like to make these, these next two weeks, like a really strong finish to the campaign. Now, with, uh, you know, go over for some listeners. I mean, most everyone has heard of Kickstarter, but as a creator on your side, uh, what it's like coming up with a campaign. Like, obviously, you have your idea for the book, and then you got to kind of come up with some stretch goals and some other pledges. What is it that you decide to do, and, and how do you go about doing that? Well, I, I, I you know, first and foremost, want to make sure that I you know, make a reasonable goal that covers all my bases for the thing, because you don't want to be in a position where um, you still need more money after the thing's over, but you also don't want to be in a position where you're asking for too much and it doesn't get funded or it looks like you're getting greedy, you know, about it. Um, When I see like, you know, like single issue books that are asking for like 10 grand, I'm like, wait, what do you need that for again? Like, cause that's a, that's a lot of money for like a 22 pager, but, but this is a, a 240 page hardcover, um, that, uh, kind of special, like customized in a way for all the people who actually back, um, back the book. They, they'll get a spot finish on the book that adds a, a particular look to it that changes it. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's a Kickstarter exclusive version that's that specifically tells people I, I back this thing. Plus, you get um, your name in the book in, in, the, in the thank you section in the back for anyone who backs the book or above. Uh, but when I was building it, um, I wanted to do some fun stuff that added value to the campaign and also was fun for my fans who, you know, been with me for some time now. So like I've done T-shirts and I've done mugs and I've done all these random extra like thank you collector's items that um are fun but this time i was like i want to do something really cool um to add to this campaign and and be specific to it so two things that i did um the one that's very specific to the book is the this tarot deck that i made um because there's a character in the book who actually uses a tarot deck and i was drawing all these tarot cards to you know I'm kind of the book is is my baby, so I'm very detail oriented on it. And so I was like drawing actual cards in the book, um, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm getting close to having a proper 72 card deck. Why don't I just make one and then put it in the campaign? So that's in there, um, which is a, I think I haven't seen a lot of other comic campaigns add that. 
Um, and then I did a challenge coin for um, for my super fans. Like you can get a, a challenge coin for like eleven bucks or even less if you um, if you um, package it into another reward level. And it's basically for anyone who doesn't know what a challenge coin is, it's it's um, something that lets you know that you're part of a particular club or group. Um, it's used in the military a lot, but I, I even saw the 501st uh, guys over at Cherry Capital have their own challenge coin, as does um, Cherry Capital, apparently. They had their own as well. And what you do is if you have one, you know, like like if, if Derek and I stay are at uh, Cherry, which I wish Derek was, but I get why he wasn't. Um, yeah, families yeah. do that to you sometimes. Yeah, it sucks, but, you know, oh, it dude, is what it yeah, is. Oh, dude, I know. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry. Uh those babies are, are no joke. I hear they poop four times in a day sometimes. <laughs> um, but if, like, I knew Derek had a coin because he said, you know, he, he pledged or whatever to the coin level, and then I have my coin. I see Derek at a bar. I put my coin down on the bar, and if Derek can't produce his because he doesn't have it on him, then he has to buy the next round. But if he can, then I have to buy the next round. So it's one of these fun little things that you can do with, like, people who are in on, on this particular you know, club, let's, let's call it the, the Beardo comics club. Um, that just makes it more fun for, for my fans. You know, I didn't know that, but now that I do, I am like buying one, putting it in my wallet. Cause I see you all the time at conventions and yeah. <laughs> somehow, hopefully, I mean, I figure you'd probably make sure you'd have one on you, but, uh, it'd be great. I'm going to have to, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a strong way for you to get free drinks though. Or What's that? buy a lot. I said if you if you have yours on you and people challenge you though, I mean that's a good way for you to get free drinks. So yeah, I mean it's you know I'm gonna always have to have mine on me because I'm gonna be a, a walking target from now on. But you say other, otherwise you're gonna just have to roll around with twenties like constantly in your wallet because you're gonna be poor yeah. from buying drinks all day. This is like a double edged sword, Dan. I'm gonna need kidneys, man. Can you help me? <laughs> oh my god, that's just gonna get ridiculous at this point. <laughs> so yeah, for everyone that doesn't know, Dan and I have the worst like kidney prank war going right now, off a conversation we had a couple weeks ago. So mm-hmm. kidneys are like the running joke, and now I have to find some way to one up the robotic kidney you had commissioned. Which I is did. I absurd. had uh, Rich Bloom. Well, you had it. For, you did it first. I, I did do it first. I did have Rich draw a smiling kidney to give to you to pay for the stuff that I was buying. Which reminds me of a second story. My wife uh, is convinced that she and I are single-handedly putting your children through school at this point. Because <laughs> uh, yep. we I was like, we got to go interview Dan about the Kickstarter. She's like, you're getting you're backing Dan's Kickstarter. Oh my god, how much money are we going to give him this year? It was like a direct <laughs> quote. She's like, I like Dan yeah. and everything, but we're putting his kids through college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're we're calling it the Derek Ray Foundation. It's great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Dan. You should just put like a separate like five twenty nine plan with my name on it for them. So. Yeah. No. No. Thank you, Derek. Yes. You. Yeah. And I now I have backup kidneys. I mean, I'm really in good shape for watching my children grow. I mean, you're. I mean, I want to put you out of house and home. Hopefully. And kidneys. If all, yeah, and kidneys. You can have zero kidneys. And nothing left, and I'm just gonna be sitting pretty. It's gonna be great. Great, I'm gonna wake up in a bathtub full of ice, and <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I'm not even that good at stitching, but we'll figure something out. Eh, you know, just just draw some stitches on my back. I'll be fine. <laughs> not the... Dan drawing stitches is not the same as stitching. <laughs> well, Dan, can you uh, fill listeners in? Uh, what exactly is Touching Evil? What does the story kind of so far and 
maybe a little glimpse of what this volume is going to have in store for it. Yes. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the elevator pitch that I give people at my table and then give you sort of a recap of what happened, what's kind of happening in volume two without giving you too much of that one. Um, the elevator pitch is that a woman is given a curse that lets her kill anyone she touches, provided that they're evil. And she has no idea who's evil unless she tries it. Um, which, you know, usually when I see people react to that, they're like, oh. And it's one of two things I get. It's either like, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, what would I do with it? Or, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> like, it sounds like a, a terrible uh, burden to be put upon somebody. And in the story, it's it's more of the latter. Like, it's she's kind of, in a sense, almost like Frodo from Lord of the Rings, where she's kind of like forced to carry this thing and she could give it up and give it to somebody else and just be done with it. But she feels like that would be like sort of a cop out, you know, like they would only be making someone else's life as miserable as she was with this thing. So she's, she's this this reluctant hero um, who's also a single mom who in the first book uh, receives the curse um, when she's just doing her job as a lawyer uh, meeting up with a, a client in prison this this prisoner just so happens to have had it for about 80 years um and and the reason why he's had it for 80 years is because also when you have the curse uh, as long as you have it you can't die you're a, you're a vessel for the curse so the curse has to live so you have to live um so she gets this curse and it like turns her whole life upside down she um she's like realizes it works by total accident um uh She's in a kind of a series of unfortunate events in the first section of the book where she's like, oh, my God, my hands can kill evil people. And then what happens, um, as with everyone who bears the curse, is that people want to take it from them because they think, oh, it would be amazing to have this, you know, and by any means necessary if, if, um, if they have to. So she's on the run, like, kind of midway through volume one. And by the end of it, she's um, she's lost some friends and, and barely gotten out of some scrapes and she's essentially a fugitive um, from 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 the law and, and, and she's considered a missing person. Um, so when we get to volume two, she's, she's hell-bent on just sort of getting some of her immediate um, danger out of the way by, by going after her enemies from book one but then a new twist is added in, into the uh, into the book that there is someone out there who could break the curse, but they're going to need her to do some some bad stuff in order to say yes, I'll do it. Um, so she's got this like another moral dilemma: like, is it right to use this thing for someone else's personal gain if it means that finally, once and for all, this curse can be broken? Um, and Again, like it makes for really good suspense. Like she's, this is probably the most suspenseful thing I've ever written. And at the end of book two, I promise you, it will end on like a crazy crescendo that nobody's gonna see coming. See, when I when I first heard the pitch uh, a while ago, my thoughts were send her into Congress. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that one. Like, yeah, just go for the politicians, baby. And you're like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, right? Yeah. What are some other like? Obviously, you know, this is all coming from your head and which where did you pull this story from? Like it sounds so unique, yet something that is like almost like a legend that's always been there before. 
Yeah, it sounds familiar in a way, right? I yeah. Mean, I, I, I've never heard of anyone having this thing or any stories like this, but I like the idea that you could have this power and that there was this um, there was this kind of like like backdoor to it where it's like you don't have to decide what's evil. We'll do that for you. That's what the curse is going to do for you. It, it has its own set of rules. You don't even need to know that. All you need to know is you can use it, and maybe you should. You know, like, why not? You're doing the you're doing the right thing, right? I mean, yeah, it's killing, but they're bad people, so that makes it okay, right? And I think that you know, that argument comes up in a lot of other uh, uh, kind of heated conversations, like like the death penalty, like or the stuff like so like that, where we talk about you know somebody who's bad, but is it right to kill them? And there's times where you say, yeah, it is right. You know, like this guy's awful. He's irredeemable. And there's sometimes where you're like, man, is this, is it, are we any better than this person? If, if, um, we resort to the same thing that we're, we're charging them with. And I like that, that moral dilemma a lot. Like, I think it's, I don't have an answer for it. Like I'm not really necessarily in one camp or the other, because I can honestly say that I can, I can see both sides of it. And I like that. I like tough, um, situations to put people in. So um, I think that social part of it, um, combined with just the fact that I love the Twilight Zone, <laughs> is where I kind of started. You know, I mean, I uh, the Twilight Zone always had an added level of intelligence to it that I, I always admired because it was um, it was entertainment, but it also had some sort of social undertone in there that made you talk to people. You know, like you had to say like did you see what happened? Like, what do you, what did you think about that? And like, and for the time it was groundbreaking and I still think it's kind of groundbreaking now, but they were always sort of, um, you know, they were 22 minute, maybe 40 minute episodes in some of the seasons. That was how far they, they could take a, a story. And I was like, what if a story could go like long form, like current television, like, you know, my favorite shows like Sopranos and uh, Breaking Bad, The Wire, like that kind of stuff where you can really, let a character breathe a little bit more. Like what if that was mixed with the twilight zone? What would happen now with, I mean, even not only the moral dilemma, I almost feel a philosophical spectrum of what is evil. Yeah. Because, you know, in, in that sense, yeah, as you were saying too, killing is evil, but if you're killing bad people, then that's good. Do you have, I mean, and I don't think that's ever something that can ever be truly like quantified yeah quantified but do you have that in your okay going to stories that i love time travel i hate it when they break their rules do you have like your certain rules that you have like written on a notepad being like this is what's evil so i can always do that as evil or how do you go about justifying yeah quantifying that yeah that's a really good question um i have my own in in the in the back pocket essentially of the story i have what I consider to be the, the irredeemable part of somebody that would make them evil. Like there's, there's certain scenarios in, in volume one, um, that you look at the character and what they did. And if they died, you know, you can say, okay, then, then that means that Dan's defining evil as this, right. You know, somebody who, who, um, knowingly betrays their friends or something, you know, like for his own personal gain, like that's sure. Right. But the other thing that I, I wanted to make a point of in, in book one is that people change. 
um, there were some characters in the in the story that you got to see um, through flashbacks um, that there was a time where they were touched by the curse and survived, and then time went on, and a second touch killed them. So it it almost speaks to the fact that you know I don't think evil is something that's um, nature so much as it is nurture. Like I don't I don't really believe in like the whole like a bad seed who was just born that way. I think it's a lot more environmental and, and a lot more about when you know you can actually make a choice on something and you choose to do the wrong thing. You know, because we all make mistakes, but you know, when you're going, you're going like, I know that what I'm doing is going to ruin somebody or just like devastate a life or something, and you go, and I'm going to do it. Nope. Um, that kind of thing, you know, like that. So I mean, I try to follow that, but there's also another part that I haven't told about the story that is essentially the origin story of the curse. I've, I've hinted at it, but I haven't gotten to it. Um, and I will hopefully in volume three if we get that far. <laughs> Well, we look forward to that for sure. Now, what's the process like for you? Because you have other books that we're going to talk about in a bit that you work with other creators. But for you having your own solo stuff, even maybe a little bit about Beardo too, when you're the everything person, how does that differentiate from when you have to collaborate and your process behind that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's pros and cons to both of it. Like the the advantage of working with your, you know, like by, by yourself is that, you know, you don't have to really answer to anybody if you don't want to. Like you get to kind of, you know, follow your vision as best as you can. The uh, disadvantage, I would say, is that it takes more time. And, and sometimes, honestly, like, you know, you need to hear somebody else's opinion and maybe you're, you're smelling your own farts a little bit too long. So <laughs> it's like, how do you, how do you know when, you got to like let somebody in on it and how do you know when it's it's right to just follow your own particular uh vision for it like with beardo i i always felt that was the easiest thing for me to work on alone like because it really is just about my life so it, i don't need anybody to tell me about my life i, I got that <laughs> one pretty much uh well examined like um so i mean when people come up to me with beardo ideas i'd be like why would I do that? Cause it's a great idea, but it's not my idea. Like that's, it's supposed to be pretty autobiographical. So if you're trying to make up something that happened to me, it wouldn't really play. But like with touching evil, I, I would love to see somebody eventually like tell a good story in that, in that world. Um, I would be particular about who did it, but I think it'd be really cool. Um, because the concept lends itself to it. Um, and then with, you know, like the stuff that we're probably going to touch upon that just debuted, like with, with Floppy Cop um, or Cosa Nostra, you know, I, I really enjoyed working with those guys because they're my friends. And I we knew that the projects that we were going to put together were, were suited to our skill sets. So that's easy. Like, you know, there's there's work to be done, but it's it's ultimately, you know, it's good work. It's, it's not fashion your head against the wall kind of work where I've, I've done, you know, projects for people that um, maybe I wasn't the right fit for, or they just didn't know what they wanted or something, but um, those can be tough. And that's where you start going like, man, I wish I could go back to my creator own thing. Cause I, <laughs> I could just totally ride that thing without any, anything in my way. What was um, the so first, it's, it's a little bit of both, you know, both of them have their pros and cons. What was the first thing that you uh, ever collaborated on? Um, the first thing I ever collaborated on, well, professionally, 
that, that made print, I would say either it was the kids' books that I did with DJ Corton. Um, we did some band, uh, band nerds books. They're, they're books about being in, in marching band. Um, or like the stuff that I did with Rafael Nieves, um, uh, the, like the Apocalypse Plan or Bob Howard, Plumber of the Unknown, um, which that's probably the, the, the first published um, comic work that I, I collaborated on. Now, I yeah, we you already mentioned Floppy Cop, and I, I kind of want to get into it because it is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen that it works with how good it is ridiculous. Uh, not only just the story, but Seth's art. It, I, I feel like it would, it would fall flat any other creators kind of pitching this idea, but you two somehow made it gold. And I, I can't wait to hear about more of what's to come to it. But what, where, how, why? Like, like what, how did that come to be? Yeah, yeah. yeah, like the the process in your head that you're just like, a cop without a spine. That's going to make a great story. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I wanted to play with, um, first of all, I wanted to do something fun. Let me just start by saying that. Um, and, I, and, and I love touching evil. It's, it's my baby um and i love beardo and, and that that beardo was my thing that allowed me to kind of flex my sense of humor but i always kind of had to be careful about beardo because i didn't i was in the newspaper and i was i was online i was kind of considered all ages in a sense so um you know there's some my, my sense of humor is not always kid friendly <laughs> and um and i'd have to sort of censor myself a little bit to just stay true to, to the beardo um kind of vibe and then touching evil is just really dark and and intense and it's 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 like a roller coaster ride of this suspenseful story um cut to me talking to seth the moose about the fact that he was you know crushing it on tales of mystery volume four i think which is like their heaviest volume to date in terms of like what happens in it um and we were both just kind of mentally exhausted from doing such heavy stuff like and we and again, it, it not to say that we don't love the projects at all, like they're they're our babies, but we were like, Man, we want to do something silly and fun and like that can only really happen in comics, you know, like that, that kind of thing that you you see that hopefully is just magic that can't be replicated necessarily by movies or whatever, but like it's just funny as all get out and absurd and that's where Fluffy Cop started. Um, and I just wanted to really have a, a guy who was visually funny right out the gate that Seth could draw, but I didn't. All, I also didn't want to tell Seth how to draw it. Like I just told him some bullet points, but gave him no actual visuals um, other than one of those um, those guys you see outside in front of a, a auto dealership that just fly. You know, like those balloon guys, inflatable <laughs> arm, like waving, waving arm yeah. inflatable guy. Yeah, those guys. That was the only actual visual I gave him. <laughs> I was like. Think of this guy, but make him a cop. And <laughs> that's where we started with him. Um, and then I just wanted to write stuff that made me laugh and make Seth laugh. I've been really enjoying trying to make Seth laugh <laughs> and then seeing how he will then interpret it for uh, for a comic. Now, I talking to you at the shows and Seth, too, I did hear that, I mean, you don't have the reason why um, he's spineless in the book. And I know don't want you to spoil that but are you do you feel that this world might have some other maybe characters that are like that 
little cartoonish um, in a way, or is he going to be kind of the only unique individual? No, he won't be. There will be other um, absurd characters as well. Awesome. I mean, in fact, the reason why he has doesn't have a spine is also the reason why this other character exists, which I have not revealed yet entirely, but... Um, but I will, you know, like we're, the, that first book is really to sort of set up the world of Flappy Cop and the and the the dilemma, you know, like he, he gets his villain. Um, he has a, a rookie partner who he um, I, I don't want to give too much away about, but I think he sees a little bit of her uh, um, in himself. And and even though he's hard on her, he also wants to help her or he needs her help. So there's this fun partnership that happens in the book that will hopefully yield some, some funny results, but also tell you a bit about how Floppy Cop came to be. So I definitely will be revealing how the origin story went down. Um, and it's it's really ridiculous. <laughs> has, has, I actually, I really can't wait to reveal it. Has Seth come to you with some things that just made you like die laughing as well? Yeah, Seth did a lot of really great stuff that I did not script. Um, you know, I gave him as tight a script as I could give him without constricting him at all. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to give him too too much um, boundaries, but I also didn't want to um, have him like kind of free floating out there in the in the world. So basically, um, I told Seth like if he wanted to throw a joke in there or throw some extra gag or anything that he thought was funny to just run with it. And you'll see like a lot of weird posters in the background in book one. Um, and his, his, his visual like representation of a lot of the, the cast of villains in this, in the jail cell. That was really the went above and beyond what funniest I, part. I, I had to message you. Have you, have you sent a copy of this to Muggsy Bugs yet? Uh, no, <laughs> I really, I gotta find him. But the fact that Muggsy Bogues is in the book is, is probably one of my favorite parts of, of it. <laughs> I, I actually laughed out loud at, that was like the most random 90s basketball reference. Like, you pulled out a 5'6 basketball player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just got a name that's meant to be villainous, I feel like. So, it, it just made me laugh. Like, you know, and I, I think... The, you know, saying Muggsy Bogues kind of makes me laugh. It's kind of the, <laughs> the, just the vibe of, of the book is if it made me laugh and it makes the story make sense or or not make sense sometimes. He, he does fair game. He does um, sound more like a 1920s gangster than a very short point guard. So what's, what? Oh, say that again. I said he does sound more like a 1920s gangster in his name than a, uh, a very short short point guard. So I get it. Yeah, he shouldn't be named Muggsy Bogues. Like, <laughs> that that name belongs to exactly what you described. Like it's almost like he stole that name from somebody who had done a lot of terrible things. But <laughs> it's funny to me. Like it just it, it's really and, and then you know like the the third bird. Um, it's a bird who who's <laughs> his tagline is they killed two of his friends with one stone. They should have killed three, and he's the third bird <laughs> who. Is sort of like this Frank Castle esque character, but um, drawn or, or like contained inside of a bird. Um, <laughs> and I didn't tell Seth what kind of bird to pick, so I, I really wanted to see what he would do. And he picked a bantam rooster, like one of those fighting roosters. He's a very grizzled um, looking rooster. And it just cracked me up. Like, I think he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> it's just really goofy. Oh, 
That is, yeah, between, like, Nickel and Mime and, yeah, Joey Glass Half-Full, like, those are all genius. Like, that's, like, the most hilarious yeah. set of villains in a jail cell. Yeah, I mean, the I, I, I really want to play with those guys more, too. Like, Joey Glass Half-Full um, is, <laughs> is an optimistic mobster who's convinced he's going to turn his life around. <laughs> like, it's, it's all going to work out. <laughs> he's, he's just locked in jail right now. You know, until you know, maybe later in the story, we're gonna see a little bit more of those guys. But well, as yeah, uh, I mean, as you're explaining uh, them right now, do you have like a list of kind of from those like a little bio for them right now? Because hearing some more of their exploits and everything, even if it's not within the you know like a rap sheet or something, would be kind of extra kind of funny to have in the back of a book, maybe in the future. Just an idea, just suggestion. That's you know it's actually a really good idea because um, th- there's there's even more colorful characters that are going to come up. Um, Jay Fosgett and Seth and I were talking about it this weekend because we were we were working on like just like kind of spitballing ideas for for book two to add on to the story. Like we already, I mean, I already kind of have a pretty good map of where this first arc goes. But um, getting back to your earlier question about collaborating, I, I really am, am enjoying you know, not totally being in the driver's seat. And um, in fact, really like letting Seth and Jay, you know, just say stuff and see if it's something we could use. So um, we had this character <laughs> over the weekend um, and I'm going to tell I'm going to give you a little, I'll give you a little taste of this because uh, it comes into play in book two. Um, he's a character who has his superpowers given to him because he slipped on a radioactive chameleon. yeah he fell and hit his head he now has the ability to blend in anywhere he has super chameleon strength and telepathy but the downside is that he's in a coma because he hit his head (laughs) so the best part is his name which is coma chameleon (laughs) (laughs) so and as for his state of consciousness it comes and goes (laughs) <laughs> that's hilarious uh yeah I... so most of his time with like his telepathy is asking people to like scratch his back because he's been sitting in this bed the whole time <laughs> like, can, you, can you slap see if i would wake up <laughs> like that kind of stuff that's um, great yeah and so that's the kind of goofy fun we're having with it like just doing stuff like that that you know i can hopefully rein into a coherent story um and, you know, I, I have, like, again, like, I had this, this narrative that goes through the whole thing that um, is supposed to do a couple things. You know, it's supposed to, you know, get us to love these characters and tell us a little bit more about where they came from. Um, and then have, you know, a case to, to work that they got to work that's hopefully as fun as the characters are. Um, and then let Seth just rock his art through the whole thing. That's, that's really, if I get all those things accomplished on my end, I know Seth will knock his part out, and Jay's been doing great covers. I've been getting great help from um, some uh, – actually, one of the graduates from my school, uh, Melina Deneno, did uh, color work for the book, too. So, like, I've got a good team on this thing, and it's fun to play with. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Uh, how did you go about grabbing one of your students to do your color work there? Um, she'd actually already done some work on Beardo uh, to help me out when I was wrapping up book five. So, um, you know, like I have a, a bunch of students who I think are, you know, reliable and, um, 
and hard workers because um, that's kind of what we were trying to instill in them at the school, you know, just like, hey, this, this job is not so much about talent as it is about hard work. And a lot of them really, you know, just stepped up and proved themselves early enough for me to give them actual work before they were even graduated. So um, she had helped me out with, with Beardo 5 and with some other random, you know, just last minute stuff with various projects. So I said, hey, could you help me out with this so we can get it done in time for, for uh, this convention season? And she, she rocked it. I mean, she was, she was great. And, um, and hopefully that leads to more work for her too. You know, like I, I know some people already had seen her working hard at, at Motor City and, and seen, had seen Floppy Cop. And, you know, my goal is to have as many of my students as possible get that chance to to get that leg up or that introduction into the, into the comics world. Um, so yeah, I mean like she had already proven herself before, so I didn't feel like I was taking a big risk, but, um, but it was cool to see that the team, you know, all, all came together so nicely because I've, I've been on the other end of it where it doesn't work so hot. So I'm glad it's working out good. Yeah. It was pretty cool having everybody at uh, motor city where it debuted too. So I have autographs and a chicken drawing from Seth on my issue since you apparently stole his, uh, shadow picture of floppy cup which he was very upset about by the way <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think i heard all that it, it sounded funny <laughs> now we are on speaker but uh i just want to make sure i could hear derek because i wasn't hearing him so well but yeah just to say real quick i know we, we had all four of them at the show and that was kind of unheard of so you you were able to bounce around right and get everyone's signature yeah yeah that was nice yeah yeah but he was saying um, that uh, Seth was a little upset because you took his uh, patented drawing the in the shadow of Floppy Cop. Oh, yeah. Well, he... No, let's just set the record straight. <laughs> so, Seth was drawing Floppy Cop upright, you know, like head up, and then I think he challenged me. He's like, why don't you draw something on there? You can draw right, Dory? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm the artist. I'm not the artist on this book, Seth. And he was like, well, that sounds like a cop-out to me. So I was like, fine, bro. And then <laughs> I uh, I drew mine upside down. So I did that. And then he was like, oh, I should have been doing that. And so, yeah, that that's how that happened. I was I was letting Seth just take the, the art. But if you want to throw it down, I'll throw it down with Seth. Well, th- okay, this is almost a perfect segue, uh, which... <laughs> Also, I'll segue into the last part, too, because of it, but it seems like you're throwing down with a lot of people, like other collaborators, like as if you're you're fighting, as if, what happened to Satellite Kilt? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had a little bit of uh, some heat happening at the karaoke battle this weekend at, at Cherry Capital. Um, yeah, it was crazy. For lis- were... listeners that don't know, this is your, your and Dirk Manning's romance of a karaoke team tag team for at all the conventions yes we've we've done a lot of um a lot of conventions as this super group of comic creators making karaoke happen and we've been challenged many times um and still hold two title belts and a karaoke trophy from last year but uh, this year around, we were supposed to just sort of, you know, be chill and, and be cool. And then all of a sudden, Brian O'Halloran comes in trying to gun for our, our title. And it became a title match. Um, 
and Dirk got so so heelish, and you know he was he's a heel <laughs> that he's he just started forgetting where he came from and was was giving me all kinds of like one-upsmanship, taking the mic from me and blocking me out when I was trying to sing and saying that we don't need Johnny Unicorn. Finally, I had it. I was done. I could do no more. And and I put the mic down and I walked away. And I said, never again. And that's where we left it. <laughs> it was, honestly, everyone, you know, all of, all of your friends and all of us, you know, out there, we were like, did we just see satellite kilt break what it as wrestling fans is is kind of how the karaoke circuit goes with comic cons it it was a like one of those like moments like what's gonna happen next and a lot of people were like yeah what what are they gonna do now like so you guys nailed it on the suspense and everything way better than what vince mcmahon could ever do yeah we were yeah we were aiming for the mcmahon level of of suspense and I think we got it <laughs> um, yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna let people wonder I think because I think we got some issues that we have to sort out I mean Dirk and I just have to really uh, come to terms with some stuff and do some serious soul searching I might have to take a long walk on a beach somewhere <laughs> um, look at a sunset maybe like feed some pigeons I don't know but one one of these days, one of these days, we'll give you an answer as to what next for satellite kill. Now, I, also, uh, it's what uh, cop, cop, or copying is the biggest form of flattery, or what is it? Imitation, mm-hmm. the biggest form of flattery. Uh, oh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. yeah. How was it when you saw the new kilts on the block? <laughs> it really was uh, flattering. Actually, it was it was funny that our absurd persona could somehow become more absurd. I thought we had hit the heights of that. Um, we even got Funko Pops of ourselves from Jason Plowman at the show. Like, I, There's a Johnny Unicorn Funko Pop now, and there's a Dirk Manning Funko Pop. Um, and I thought that was already crazy. There's even a Seth the Moose one, by the way. Um, but then, yeah, uh, who did it? Corey did it, and, uh, and Landon came out as their version of us, I forget. I think I think their names. I know it was New Kilt on the Block with the overall name. Like the, the it was name. yeah, it was Dick Man and Man Manly Men or Manly Man or something. And no, no, it was Richard Manliest. Oh yeah, yeah, called it. <laughs> yeah. And then I forget what Landon was. I think it was like Johnny Unicorn. <laughs> something. Yeah. It was something just like very close to Johnny Unicorn, but um, but that was. Uh, probably my favorite part of that whole night actually was seeing those two clowns try to do that. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Did Seth tell you? Because when I was interviewing him at the show, uh, I overheard him and then talked to his wife about. Uh, did you hear that he woke up with the unicorn head in his bed? He won't what? So the unicorn oh, head. He woke the, up with the unicorn. Yes. Like a horse head like in Godfather his bed. Godfather style. Yeah. Technically, it was yeah. in the chair, but it was in the room, and he has no clue what the hell happened. Well, I mean, I think I know what happened. I got the message. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can tell you what really happened, but I, I think I like the mystique better. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. But yeah. uh, uh, going from karaoke, though, I guess you still have to have some sort of 
professionalism with Dirk Manning, uh, with your new book uh, coming. I guess it debuted already, but for most people that couldn't make it to C4, they don't have a, a copy of Cosa Nostra. I don't. Yeah, I meant to still hang out with that guy for at least a couple more issues. <laughs> um, no, yeah, we we did a, a very special debut for just for Cherry Capital because you know we knew for one that's a show that that we have a lot of, of good people there that you know have been loving our work, um, and we wanted to give them something special. Um, and for two, we had been working on this for a bit, and, and and we're trying to think of some place to debut it at. So when you know. It worked out that Cherry Capital was around the timeline, and we're like, "Yep, let's do this." the uh, The version that we put out is limited to 100 copies strictly. Like, it's a sheer like noir style black and white version, um, and the book kind of lends itself to that because I I did the whole thing in ink wash, so it it's really like the final version is not going to be um, too much different from that vision, except for the fact that. We're gonna have some some select color in there for the ghost in there, and for anything that involves blood, kind of like how yellow that yellow bastard worked in uh, Sin City. Okay, yeah. Um, so that's the final form of the book, but this version here is like the exclusive get it while it's hot version, uh, just to get people talking about it, get get them reading this book, and um, and kind of build some excitement because yeah, it's gonna be a really cool thing that plays upon our, our strengths, I, th- I think, you know, Dirk's kind of known for being a horror writer and, and being able to, you know, spin some suspenseful tales. And, uh, and you know, I've, I've done a lot of kind of dark stuff myself, um, between Touching Evil and Bob Howard and Apocalypse Plan. So um, I, it, got, it allowed me to revisit my ink wash technique that I used for those latter two books I mentioned. And... Um, and also kind of just uh, team up with Dirk finally for something, and it felt like a really good fit. You know, like we've been talking about doing something for probably a couple of years now, um, and, you know, we're both so busy with our own particular projects uh, that it was like, okay, or, you know, one of these days we'll get to it, one of these days. And then, you know, last year we at, uh, I think it was Philadelphia, we decided, okay, no, let's just let's figure something out and bounce some ideas back and forth um, that he'd been stewing on and I, I loved a lot of them but I really was attached to Costa Nostra because I, I like the mafia angle of it I'm a huge Sopranos fan and I, I always liked the and actually the Godfather getting back to the severed head thing um, <laughs> yeah but I uh, I um, have always really enjoyed the the this thing of ours kind of vibe of of that um, that particular brand of of storytelling um, so when he pitched it to me and it's kind of a Shakespearean tragedy set in, in a mafia story, I'm like, yes, let's do this. I, I, I'm really curious to see what the color will add to it. Cause it already is beautiful in what you have right now. So it'll be interesting when that, that debuts for sure. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to make sure it stood alone in black and white. You know, I'm, I actually really enjoy it just as black and white but we you know we talked about this to make it more more special and more um kind of have its own unique style um to have this um just ever so subtle touch to it with color i mean it's going to be really nuanced and, and minimal but i think it'll 
it'll kind of become an unforgettable part of this of the story overall. Now, is there a release date now for the rest of the world to be able to pick this up? Yeah, well, um, I will say this. Okay, so for the proper version of it, um, we're probably going to do uh, the that that launch um, at Sean's Anime and Comics um, in Ohio in July. I think the date is. I have to look at my phone here. Um, it's a little bit after. It's after Fourth of July. Let's see here. I believe we're going for July twenty first. At Sean's Anime and Comics, which would also mean that it would be available to, to order online. Oh, my my daughter doesn't like this at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be this um, it's gonna be this thing that it starts off slow, I think, because it's gonna be it's gonna be like for our fans only. But we have bigger plans for it as it goes, you know, further down the pipeline. Um, and I will also say that, you know, we we sold a ton of the limited edition version of it at Cherry, but we do still have some left between the two of us that we split at the end of the show. Like, we each have sort of a handful of the, the remaining copies. So um, we'll probably put something out there uh, as far as telling people how those are going to go down. Like, I think a lot of those are going to go towards our Kickstarter when we eventually do that as a very exclusive thing. Um, but we might, you know, we might make some other offers for people who just physically couldn't get there, you know, cause it's, some people just don't live anywhere near cherry capital. And I understand that. And I don't want to deny them something cool because there are, you know, cause their location is, um, is too far. It doesn't make mean that they're not a super fan anyway. Now to kind of wrap up, there was a very uh, important award that was debuted this uh, past weekend that four great individuals were vying for, and it really did go to the best person. And Dan, you had uh -huh. won the Gary Reed Award for Independent Creator of the Year, and just kind of want to know, because I, I mean, I chatted with you a bit at the show, of what went through your head, but like, what does that mean to you? How, you know, obviously you've won some awards before, but but really in the thick of things, you know, being with friends and everything. Tell us what your thoughts were. Yeah, you know, I don't think any award that I've gotten has ever meant as much to me because I know so much of what it represents, you know, in a personal way. You know, um, actually, I, I think about on this, on this drive back um, from Michigan, I've had some time to really think about it because I haven't. Um, I haven't had much time to really process it yet. Like I was very surprised to have won and I'm not trying to be humble or, or, or bashful or anything, but like I, you know, I was up against three of some of my favorite creators and, and dear friends. Um, and I saw a really tough decision for the judges there because we all have our own unique reason why we would be up for this thing. Like, you know, it's, it's not like we're just cut from the same exact mold we all do kind of special takes on, on what you know what the award is supposed to represent so I'm like man this this is gonna be tough and now that I've had some some time to think about it like I'm still flabbergasted by that but it it's um it, it's just meant so much to me on a personal level because you know I knew Gary um in my own way just like everyone else did we all had our own Gary stories uh, mine 
is coming up, you know, as a, as a young guy and having him take um, one of our projects and give it a chance through tra transfusion. Uh, Rafael Nieves and I had done Apocalypse Plan and, and had to find a home there. And I met Gary Reed for the first time way, way back then. Like that was like over 10 years ago, I think. Um, and the guy, like I said in my speech, scared the hell out of me. <laughs> he was just so, and I, I don't mean this in a mean way, but he was a, a presence that was like an intimidating presence because he had seen so much and, and done so much in this industry and done so much for people and had made so much great work. And here I am, this like snot-nosed dude trying to make a couple comics. And I'm like, oh my God, why am I, why am I here right now? You know, it's kind of how I felt two days ago. Why am I here? You know, it's like, I, it, it was, it was kind of a full circle moment in a way of, you know, really making you think about the impact you've had on people. And I'm so uh, humbled that um, that I have had any impact on anybody. So it, it, you don't think about those kind of things um, until something like this smacks you in the face and says you're doing something right, I guess. Um, but I also just thought it, I had a sweet memory about Gary. Um, it was when we when they had the Detroit Fanfare thing still uh, going. Um, it was in one of the later two years, I think. Uh, I was honored there by the, the Sheldorf Awards that they were putting on. Um, and I had won uh, one for Touching Evil and I won one for Beardo. And I took this moment outside after I, uh, after I had my, you know, my uh, shucks, gosh, humble moment in the place. And I went outside and I just went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was, I was, I was almost crying. Like I was at that point where I was just like deliriously happy because I, you know, I won two awards that night. I was just feeling great. And who's sitting over in the corner smoking but Gary Reed? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you saw me do that. <laughs> and I was like, ah, hell. <laughs> and it was, it was like, he was like, good job. I think that's all he said was, good job. Like, they're good books. And like, and then we went on to talk about something else because I, I think we were just talking about the cigar I had with me to celebrate or something. <laughs> and like, and that was all I needed to hear from him, like that he liked it and that, um, you know, he thought it was it was uh, worth that award or whatever. It, it meant the world to me. And then we just went right back to talking about normal stuff. And that's, you know, that was what I loved about that guy was that he was had done so much amazing things and he would he would do a lot of great things for a lot of people just to do it. But he was just still a, a regular guy who just, you know, stayed humble after so much accomplishment. Um, and that he would just be like, yeah, good job. <laughs> that was it, you know? And so I, I was thinking about that moment when I was driving home. It finally occurred to me, like, that happened, and now here I am with an award that has his name on it, and that's going to be a memory that I'm, I'm just – that will stick with me for forever. Well, that is awesome. And like I said, you are definitely deserving of that with everything that you have done within the comics world. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm humbled about the whole thing, and I'm also looking forward to next year. Although I'm a little nervous because now I have to be one of the judges. So, <laughs> so that tough decision that those guys had this year is now my tough decision. It's part of a jury next year. Um, and uh, you know what? It just, it, if it means that I get to be a part of this thing for a little bit longer, I'm, I'm honored to do it. All right. Well, um, 
to wrap things up, where uh, can people find you? Um, obviously, we do have the Kickstarter that we already mentioned, so people can Google the Touching Evil Kickstarter and, and follow that. Um, we'll mm-hmm. put a link up on our webpage for it as well. But you know, if people want to interact with you, any shows coming up, uh, tell us a bit about where you're going to be. Yeah, uh, I usually take um, some of the summer off from conventions, uh, mostly because I there's not a lot of conventions that um, work for me in the summer anyway. Uh, and so I've scheduled a couple in-store signings. Um, I have one at Comics and More. And <laughs> My daughter doesn't like these signings either. <laughs> um, she's like, don't go home. Go, stay home. Don't go. Um, but uh, there's one at Comics and More on July. I want to look it up. It's July 8th or 7th. 7th. Um, where I'm going to probably try to debut something else there. Um, and then um, we're doing the big Sean's Anime and Comics signing um, with Kyle and the gang over there in, in Ohio on um i believe it's july 21st and it's going to be kind of a super signing where dirk is going to be there uh, um, i'll be there obviously and seth and um kaylin smith of plume and hope um so i think there's where we're actually going to debut the, the proper cross nostra book um and and that'll be that but uh in the meantime my summer is going to be just making you know finishing up touching evil volume two if we get funded and to answer the other part, you can find me at Beardo Comics um, on on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find me under Dan Doherty on Facebook. Um, you can look up my website is BeardoComics.com. I'm pretty easy to find. I don't really have any filters or blockage going on. Um, so, yeah, just look me up, and, and I'm pretty easy to get a hold of if you have any questions. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for uh, chatting us with uh, on your car ride home and, like, did you go like a mile or at least two so far in the last hour? <laughs> I'm actually, so I'm just circling a parking lot right now while my wife uh, gets some food because we have none in the house. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm going to go home. So we're about five minutes home. Awesome. Perfect. Well, as I said, Dan, thanks for chatting with us. And until uh, next time. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. All right, we're done. So Save that shit. We don't need it to happen like last time when you deleted his entire interview. Oh, fuck off.